0: to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. Right the You'd have to be a right bugger to have a go at the Australian Army chaplains of World War One. Why? Well, listen to this story of one of them. He's not even the chaplain that was a legend to the Anzacs. This is another one. Chaplains weren't supposed to have been landed with the first troops at Gallipoli but somehow one was he didn't get that memo. He was Roman Catholic chaplain Father John Fay of the 11th Battalion from Western Australia. He was a man of God so it would be a bit rough to accuse him of lying about that memo. Father Fay was a tough and practical man much like the man that these programs are about, our fighting Mac. Father Fay had come from preaching to the hard men in the rough timber settlements and the mining towns in Western Australia. He was no wimp. He landed with the first Anzacs at 4.30am on the morning of 25 April. His battalion landed on the northern end of the beach, looked down on by Ari Burnu. It came into what was probably the heaviest fire and probably suffered the worst casualties of all of the Australian battalions to be landed that day. Father Fay saw men killed to the left and the right of him. His coat, haversack, waterproof sheet and tobacco tin were all riddled with shrapnel and bullets in a series of separate incidents, the one after the other. A book was shot out of his hand. It could have been, most likely was, the Bible. A tin of jam was perforated by bullets and shrapnel as he ate from it. He was half buried by shells, not once, but twice This all happened in the first three weeks that he was ashore. So now we come to where the enormous legend of fighting Mac really begins. And it's a story that has been tragically forgotten in this country today. That's something I would have put right in this and my following programs. In my last program, I told you about the inspirational speech that Brigadier Colonel McLaurin had delivered to the men of the 4th Battalion before their landings on the beaches of Gallipoli. He was shot dead on 27 April while he was observing the Turkish positions. Senior commanders weren't exempt from enemy fire, and they were usually to the front with their men. Officers always suffer significantly higher casualties proportionately to their men. Mac didn't get ashore finally until 10 May. It seems that he had come ashore a few times earlier though, probably to help evacuate the wounded. Whether you can put it down to Mac's faith, his first experience under fire was not what you'd expect. He said this, It is remarkable to relate that I first felt in a most gleeful happy mood, And all fear vanished, and they reveled in it and longed to get at them. For obvious reasons, they say Christians make good deaths. During these days, before he was finally landed, Mac had to stay on board Lake Michigan, but the troops on shore were missing his comforting presence. He wrote to Salvation Army Commissioner Hay and his wife Annie, The men are longing for me to be with them in the trenches and have sent messages to say that they miss me sorely and want me to be with them. On the second day of the landing, the commanding officer of the 4th Battalion, Lieutenant Colonel Thompson, was killed. His body was in an exposed position, and the men couldn't recover it for just over a fortnight until 11 May. His funeral was one of the first that Mac had to perform after he landed The burial took place right on the front line, which was where chaplains weren't supposed to be, but which was the normal place to find fighting Mac. It was a night service that reduced the chances of the Turks being able to see the funeral party to shoot at them. Mac had to kneel and keep his head and body in a crouching position while reading the service with bullets whizzing just over his head. In his first 10 days ashore, Mac buried 170 men didn't matter whether the soldiers were religious or not. The decent and respectful burial of the dead with a Christian funeral service was a matter of great importance to all of the men. Later that day, tomorrow maybe, who knew when? It could be their turn. Funeral services conducted by the chaplains were as well attended as possible. This won the chaplains the deep and enduring respect of soldiers and the families of the slain back home. In rendering this most important service, Mac went extraordinarily beyond the call of duty, but more about that in a later program. Mac's close calls included a bullet grazing his scalp, which left a permanent scar. By the time i finished telling Fighting Mac's story, you, like me, will be amazed that that was the only bullet or piece of shrapnel that ever wounded him. Another round buzzed past his ear He was showered with Earth from a near miss from an artillery round. On 19 May, the Turks launched a major attack to try to drive the Australians back into the sea. This happened at Lone Pine. The attack began at 10.30pm. The next day it resumed at 3am in the early morning. What goes around comes around, they say. The Turks were exposed in the open in these attacks. Historian C.E.W. Bean said it was like a kangaroo shoot. Australian soldiers were elbowing each other out of the way so they can get their share of kills. One 4th Battalion soldier, Corporal Alfred Mower, reported firing his rifle as fast as he could. When he'd emptied the magazine, he was handed another fully loaded by Mac, his loader. This was probably just within the bounds of something that a chaplain should do. Mack never hung back from where the fighting was the hottest, The Turks were mown down in their thousands during this attack. Their dead and dying were piled up in no man's land. The survivors retreated to their lines at 5am. The Australians in the 1st Brigade had had 185 men killed and 400 wounded. Of those killed, 16 were in Mac's 4th Battalion. He wrote about the action. Our boys were in great heart. They climbed on top of the trench, parapets, and fired with accurate and determined aim, many reckoning it the best sport they ever had. I had a very trying duty the next day, burying our own dead. I thought so much of the many sad hearts in Australia when they know of their losses. We laid twenty-eight in one grave, all in a row. The slaughter that troops fighting from trenches could inflict on troops attacking over open ground was something that the Australians would get to experience soon for themselves, and many more times when they were moved to fight in the war in France. Over the next few days, the sun caused the Turkish corpses to swell and burst, adding to the already sickening smell of the unrecovered Australian dead from their earlier unsuccessful attacks. The pitiful appeals of the wounded trapped in no man's land slowly faded away as these poor men died without any hope of help. A truce was arranged five days later on 24 May so that both sides could recover their dead for burial. The work was indescribably horrifying and the stench made Mac sick. He wrote, I had a trying time gathering the disks and other identification marks off them. I never had such a task, and hope never shall again. That was a wish that was not going to be fulfilled, but the failure of this Turkish attack saw a change in the daily routine in the Australian trenches, a new normal. It went like this. From the time the Australian army camp was set up at Mina until the men left for Gallipoli, Mac was always holding large entertainment gatherings, sports gatherings and evangelistical gatherings on top of the compulsory church parades. That all had to stop at Gallipoli. The situation was too dangerous. Turkish shelling threatened to slaughter any large gathering. But after that big Turkish attack failed at Lone Pine, their hope of driving the Australians back into the sea had been smashed. Life then became more routine. On 23rd May, the day before the truce to recover the dead in no man's land, Mac held his first Sunday service. He spent four hours moving from trench to trench with small groups of soldiers. He ran a song service in the evening. One soldier who heard this wrote, "'Sunday after the bombing and noise, it was very quiet about sunset,' And it was a wonderful sight. I watched it from a lookout. And at the same time, a Salvation Army padre from Sydney was having a sort of small church behind the trenches on the side of a hill. It was great to hear the singing in the quiet of the evening with such a beautiful and peaceful sunset. When Mac wasn't conducting services, he kept himself more than fully occupied. He visited the sick in the hospitals, distributed letter writing materials, reading matter, and soldier comforts. He chased up the soldiers who hadn't written to their families and wrote hundreds of letters himself, usually to the families of the men of his unit, especially those killed or wounded. During the course of the war, it would be impossible to know how many tens of thousands of letters that Mac wrote to people back home. Late in the Gallipoli campaign, he was sorting through 7,000 letters and parcel each post, and was answering hundreds of letters personally. I'll come back to that later in these programs. That workload increased dramatically when the Australians were in France. He was the most important link to countless families back home with their loved ones, who were still alive and fighting in the trenches, and the ones who had gone to meet their maker. It was safest at night, and that was when Mac conducted funeral services, For some time, he was the only chaplain ashore for the 1st Brigade, and sadly, the workload was overwhelming. The other chaplains didn't come ashore until mid-June. In his first 10 days ashore, he had buried about a 170 men. Most of the soldiers spent some time hauling up supplies from the beaches under occasional artillery and sniper fire, and the rest in the relative safety of their own trenches. Mac never gave himself that later luxury. He was always on the move. He frequently had to go through positions covered by Turkish artillery, machine gun and sniper fire. Mac's dugout at one time was the closest of all of the Australian positions to the Turks. This impressed the soldiers no end. His normal day was, what did the average day look like for Mac? Normally he worked during all daylight hours and conducted burials after sunset, when it was safest to have the gatherings that funerals attracted. A typical day's work for Mac was eighteen hours. Sometimes he got no sleep, because the number of funerals that he had to conduct lasted until dawn. Whenever he could, he lent a helping hand to the diggers, carrying one end of a stretcher, helping carry forward water tins with the water in tins that until recently had had petrol or kerosene in them. The water tasted real bad. One of Mac's most important accomplishments became known affectionately to the soldiers as Mac's steps, not that Mac ever owned up to it. Some steps had been hastily cut into the hillside. They were used to carry wounded men down on stretchers or carry up the heavy water tins. They were dangerous many a spill, and soldiers struggling with the steps made easy targets for snipers, even bad snipers. Max spent one night cutting the steps into something easily and safely used. Another Salvation Army chaplain, who knew that this was Max Doing, on what you could call one of his nights off, said Wasn't that just like him? But they could never get him to say who did the work. No wonder they all love him. He is undoubtedly a servant of all. It was Christ's great example to be the servant of all men, and Mac certainly was a worthy man who honourably continued that tradition. The soldiers also remembered a time when Mac overheard one of the soldiers express a wish for eggs on one occasion and for chocolates on another. Mac went scrounging all over the peninsula, appearing later bearing on his massive shoulders a crate of eggs for the hungry, diggers up the line, or boxes of chocolates for them. One Anzac said, He spares no labour or weariness of body, mind or spirit to make the dear fellows happy and comfortable as circumstances will permit. Decades later, other Anzacs recalled, Your endurance was simply astonishing, and your courage and consecrated audacity amazed the bravest of the boys. Remember that Mac was 45 years old, more than double the age of the boys around him. What he did was far more than most of them could have achieved. Conducting religious services was the vital part of Mac's duty as a chaplain. The following tells us, like you will never hear today from the pagan secular people, how important faith was to the Anzacs, an inconvenient truth about our lives in God's universe. One Anzac described Mack's effect on the men in these words, I have seen them, though dog-tired, walking in their hundreds to the beach, when word went around that the chaplain was to hold a service. Even the sleeping would be shaken awake that they might not miss it. Lieutenant Colonel Le Maistre of the 5th Battalion recalled on Gallipoli, On Sunday afternoons, a little after four, you would see the Padre, Mackenzie, coming down Shrapnel Valley, singing, "Jesus, lover of my soul, and the lads coming out of the dugouts like rabbits out of burrows and following him. When he got them into a comparatively sheltered corner, he proceeded to lead them in a short Sunday afternoon service. Experience taught Mack and the people on Gallipoli that the Muslim Turks had their main meal around 4pm and warlike activities from them quieted down considerably for a few hours after that. Brigadier General John Forsyth of the 2nd Brigade recalled being drawn from his dugout one Sunday night. Amid the fierce crackle of musketry and roar of guns, along the distant trenches, a battle was in progress. He heard the sounds of singing. It was one of the church's grand old hymns. At last, he left his dugout to see where the singing was, and he beheld some thousands of men grouped along the hillside in front of Chaplain Mack, who stood below them and under his direction, the grand old hymn swelled above the roar of battle. It seemed to him that the roar of the guns went in majestic but terrible harmony with the sound of that grand old hymn. Mac gave this description of one of his services. As we sang the familiar hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, The strains of the grand helpful prayer wafted down and around the valley and was taken up by men on all sides who were engaged on duty. The sentries standing on guard at the mouths of the trenches nearby with bayonets fixed likewise joined in the refrain and while we were singing Plenteous grace with thee is found a platoon of armed warriors marched right past us to take up their position in the support trenches. And they too marched on, singing, Let the healing stream abound, make and keep me pure within. Men realize, as never before, that the most manly thing to do is to worship and glorify God. The Australians had slaughtered the attacking Turks in great numbers at Lone Pine, and soon it was going to be the turn of the anzacs to attack the turks across that open ground and mac again amazed everyone but that's for next time in just a week before the attack on lone pine mac wrote that he had when preaching a tremendous sense of solemn responsibility looking into the faces of men some of whom will have been killed or wounded ere the next Sunday comes around, I am obsessed with the idea and yearn with unutterable longing to lead them to the blessed Savior. One is very near to the eternal here. Indeed, all subterfuges are rudely torn aside, and one is ever treading on the threshold of the eternal world and marching in step with the sinister shadow of death. His thoughts were apt for the fighting that the men were about to begin, to take Lone Pine. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum on Saturday mornings starting at 10.30am. Probably the world's best guided tour of an artillery museum. Borrowing the Danish Carlsberg slogan for their beer. Probably the best beer in the world. If you liked this program, you'll definitely love my other program, C-Y-K-I-A-E. And you'll have to listen to the program to find out what that means.